So would you go to Mark chapter 6? Let's go there. Matthew, Mark, before Luke, after Matthew, before Luke, 6th chapter. Let's go to the 5th chapter. I said 6th, I meant 5th. said that. Mark 5. I still can't get over the fact that another one of us has taken off and gone to be with the Lord. And, and um, they, our dear Israel, is with the king we brag about tonight, the one we sing of. She's singing in person. It is just so, uh, every time it happens, <clears throat> every time I, we experience this, I don't know, to, it's, it's, it's just so enviable is the deal. Just so enviable. It's hard. Um, you'll be jealous of someone dear to you. Um, so happy for her that it, it so eclipses all, it so outweighs and counters and offsets all of the grief of the loss of someone like her. To just think of it, being with the Lord, being with him. Now there's, there's a lot to that whole heaven thing and and our change, our personal change, she has changed. You probably would have a hard time being around her now. <clears throat> She's so awesome that we would be continually tempted to worship her. That's why it's not good for us to be able to see those who've gone who are completed. They're, they're glorified. You understand that? Glorified. There's a concept that we, we, how do you even put a thought around the concept of glorified? You think about our king up on the Mount of Transfiguration unveiling, and, and forgive me, I'm loud, and it's Wednesday night. <clears throat> Do what you can, fellas. But you think about our king just opening up, letting the glory out, and the, and the miracle of the mount was not his glory leaking out, was that he could pack it all back in and, and not have it leaking out anywhere and just go blend in with the rest of humanity. That was the true glory of the incarnation, God in the flesh. Now, when you think about him, regular guy, we don't have any descriptions of him. All we have is, you know, that people were not constantly going, wow, who's the glowing guy? Because he wasn't glowing. And people were not always going, who's the majestic looking one? His earthly form, was not even like whatever it was that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, saw when he was straining his eyes looking into the flames and all of the distorted light of the heat of the furnace that he had, by his order, thrown three men into. You remember that occasion. And he's initially getting off his throne with a math problem. Initially... Did we not throw in three? Yes, my king. Why do I see four? And they're walking around in the fire. And the fourth one, that it's his words right there. Nebuchadnezzar said, this is recorded for us back in the book of Daniel, chapter three. That fourth one looks like the son of one of the gods. He's a pagan. Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan. He doesn't realize there is but one true God, and he says this thing. If the gods were to have a son, he would look like that. So what did he say? Probably in the warped light of the, the heat of the furnace, the beams are just breaking out, beams brighter than the fire. All around that one glorified, wonderful man, fourth man. But the, 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 the man, Jesus of Nazareth, could blend in and, and demons were not shrieking for 30 years around him. 30 years. They were not like, we know who you are. That didn't happen until his father blew his cover at the day of his uh, baptism and announced, this is him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember that. And from that time forward, they got him marked. We know who you are. We know who you are. Well, there's another occasion where that happens, and it's right here. But if you think about the, for a moment, just think about the glorification of our king 
and then you, you think about the, the man Jesus who blends in. Contrast that with the description the Apostle John attempts to give us from Revelation chapter 1. That description that is impossible to paint. Fire in his eyes and a, and a, and a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. How do you picture that? How do you? It's impossible, truthfully. But he's glorified. John's opening is, I saw one like unto the Son of Man. He was like unto somebody I spent three and a half years with and have served for decades. But I never saw him like this. And this is John who saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so when you think about the glorified state of the Son of God, you try to apply that to anyone you know, even to your sweet sister Isel. Now, do you understand she's glorified? Chew on that for a minute. That she's, <laughs> all the stupid things that people say about people being in heaven looking down upon us, they ain't looking down upon us. <laughs> they have moved on to truly greater things. Do you understand that? They are, they are enraptured by all that we wish we could see right now, but we can't, we're here. Now we see through a glass darkly. But there she's seeing face to face, face to face. Or, or face to feet. I don't know how, he, I'm sure he has to pull people up a lot, you know, because they're at his feet. That's where I plan to be. I plan to make that dive as soon as I arrive. Can you... Um, just embrace that thought for a moment. Glorified, man. Just chew on it for a second. <laughs> not, not, just, not just merely um, restored to the beauty of a prime on earth. A prime on earth really never existed. It, it, it exists now. Prime. Do you understand? The, I mean, the glorified. We don't even know what we shall be, but we know that we will be like him. It does not even yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And seeing him as he is will alter every one of us. Do you understand? She's experienced that alteration. I, I know I'm stuck there for a minute, but I, um, I'm liking it, so you, you just got to go with me. I, I, I want to be there. We could be there any minute. We could be there any second. It could happen any second. In mass, mass evacuation is due any minute, as far as I can tell. Mass evacuation, the rapture, or death. All of the centuries of humanity all the way until the work of our king, death was the thing everybody was the most afraid of. Everybody was. Everybody was scared of death. Everyone everywhere terrified and held in bondage by that fear. One of the early church fathers, Athanasius of Alexander, wrote about how Christ took that fear away. For the very first time in the history of the whole world, there were people being slaughtered in front of huge crowds in the arenas in the Roman Colosseum. They were being marched in and slain in a variety of really creative and sadistic ways. Fed the lions, burned alive, skinned alive. Fed the packs of wild dogs. And they embraced it. And they went in there singing. They weren't all morbid. They were like all of them and everybody in that arena knew that those people had been given a choice that whereby they could have avoided going in there to die this way. And every one of them in there, in the arena, embracing death, loving someone so much that they would rather die than deny him, and so not afraid of death. The world had never seen people not afraid to die. 
That was what was changing the Roman Empire. That was the very thing that was causing Christianity to grow, to spread, to spread to such a degree. I actually read this quote earlier, that by the year 150, I read this one to Raz earlier, by the year 150 AD, some unknown Christian could write to the Roman emperor the following about Christians. He wrote, we are but of yesterday. In other words, this movement is that new. And we have filled all that belongs to you. <laughs> the cities, the fortresses, the free towns, the very camps, the palace, the senate, the forum. We leave to you the temples only. Christianity had spread so far and so vast within the persecuting and pagan Roman Empire that such a statement could be made that we fill all that belongs to you. We are everywhere. <laughs> because of that one thing, that one thing that you Christians all have, the one thing that you all celebrate is that one loved by you, and why? Why was she loved by you? Because she loved you, is gone. And nobody's destroyed because of her being gone. And nobody's afraid to join her. That is the, what a testimony. What an amazing thing. Mark chapter five, verse one. It says here, they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, no not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, you, you may misunderstand those words. If you're not familiar with the King James Version, he worshipped him means he came sliding the home plate on his face. It means he bowed, he, he prostrated himself. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I assure thee, by God, that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. <laughs> and he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. There was there, nigh unto the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. The unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 that were choked in the sea. Then the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And when they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. And he had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. That's the craziest thing in this whole story right there. Right there, the craziest words of all. They see a guy clothed and they're afraid. The guy they're used to seeing naked. And out of his mind, he's now clothed and in his right mind and they're afraid. People are stupid. And they are. And they are, they are frightened by this power that made this happen. The guy clothed and in his right mind made them afraid. Generally speaking, Men unclothed creep me out. 
especially when they're out of their mind. You know, we, you, we work with drug addicts at Calvary Chapel up there in Central Maine, and Calvary Residential Discipleship has uh, significant fruit. And our deal is, and you can, you know, you can, have a, you can disagree with us, um, we're not into any of the so-called big pharma chemical pacifiers or, or you know, pseudo-solutions, suboxone or methadone or whatever, any one of those other foolish potions. I have utter contempt for them. They, uh, or, nor do we uh, allow any of these men to carry on with all the prescription drugs that they come to us with, and many of them come on some really heavy-duty antidepressants. And they were depressed. Well, because they're drug addicts, right? Maybe deal with that <laughs> instead of just numbing your... Anyway, but so, you know, there, there's some really bad science that is being practiced with regard to, you know, the uh, serotonin and, and all these, uh, you know, so-called blockers and, or you get low serotonin. Is a, it's all a lie. It's been a lie for a long time. And... Um, so, you know, guys come to us and we tell them, look, if you want to be here, you're going to be in this program, you're going to do six months with us telling you everything to do from the time you get up to the time you go to, to bed at night, and then we're going to tell you what to dream about. And, uh, but but you, you're going to do what we tell you to, and it's going to start with you getting off of all of those. Now, we'll never tell a guy to get off his prescription meds, his antidepressants or his antipsychotics, just like that. But you talk to your doctor and you... Wean, you get a step-down plan where you dock that you're going to wean off of all of that. And then we'll meet you, you know, even though you're living with us while you're doing that. We know that what the deal is. We're going to meet you in a month, 30 days. You tell them you want to be off all of this by 30 days, give you a step-down plan. Well, one of those docs had this guy, good old Al, had him on heavy-duty antidepressant and then told him when he came to ask him, give me a step-down plan. That doctor said, Oh, you can just quit that cold turkey. Yeah, well, uh, three days later, um, <laughs> Al is streaking absolutely naked and out of his mind. Unclothed and out of his mind. Out in the road in front of Calvert Chapel, stopping traffic. There's a couple of young ladies that got introduced to Calvert Chapel by naked Al, <laughs> stopping their car, beating on the hood, and shouting praises to the Lord, invoking the Lord's name. Well, there's a whole bunch of guys chasing him down, forcing undies on him, and dragging him back to the dorm. I still want to meet those girls. I don't know. I, I've thought about it. We'll put an ad out in the paper and go, if you happen to be going by Calvary Chapel and met a naked guy, we'd like to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, that's got to happen one of these days. I'm going to quit talking about it and do it. Because Al is today clothed and in his right mind. And I guarantee you, there are people <clears throat> that would prefer Al being as he once was, even as here. The implications to, to, to their life, you know? Because Al is now clothed and in his right mind. There are people that would have preferred the way he was before the Lord did what he did, and the Lord did what only he can do. Now, just for the record, we sent Al back to his doctor. Get on a better plan. Inform <laughs> your doctor. He was wrong, and he did step down over a month without any more streaking or total insanity. I mean, he had some hard days. But and it's, never, it's never enough, just for the record, before I leave that subject, it's not enough to wean yourself off of all these prescriptions. You've got to get on healthy living, obedience to the word, filling yourself with the word, being filled with the Holy Spirit, living right, actually applying the word, forgiving people, dealing with your fears. There's a whole bunch of things you've got to do. You don't just, you just quit that antidepressant and trust God. No. You've got to change your life. You've got to repent. And, and Al did that, as many others have. So they see this guy clothed and in his right mind. <laughs> They're afraid. Verse 16, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Sometimes hard to believe that those two 
issues would be mentioned in the same context. A man has been saved and set free. Who cares about the swine? Who cares about that swine? Well, in the modern age, there's always a little girl somewhere going, but, but, the, but the pigs. <laughs> that poor girl. And, and we got to help her. We got to help that little girl. But it, that was the case up at Calvary, Merritt Island. Last time I spoke at the pastor's conference, somebody unwisely asked me, come and address the children. I said, all right. And I was addressing the children, talking, I don't know how we got on the subject of the worldwide flood and the wrath of God upon the world. But we did, and this little girl goes, but what about all the animals? They all died. <laughs> there was not a single uh, sensitivity from my stupid mouth. They all died, every one of them. Everything that breathes air on the surface of the earth was destroyed by God. And she just got up and fled the room crying. As there were these ladies half laughing and half concerned chasing after her to try to help her through the trauma. Poor thing. But what about, what about the swine? They're here for us to destroy them. That's the deal. But all of the swine, it's hard to believe that somebody would even tell the story about the guy and then go, and there's all these dead pigs. And, but they did, as if they belonged in the same context. The value of a human over, I mean, like here is not the Son of God, the same Son of God who said, you're worth more than many sparrows. Did he not just say to that one man, you're worth more than many swine? Did he not? He did, just for the record, in case you're missing the point. He made a statement of the value many swine. And they, are, and they died a painless death. They, they all drowned. There they are all floating, perhaps cleaner than they'd ever been, and, and dead. No pain. And let's move on. With he, verse 17 says, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They began to ask him, will you please just leave. We don't want any trouble. We got our way here. We got our way in life. And we just, we just, please just leave. We get, not a word of thank you for taking care of the monster that has plagued us all. Every one of our children have had nightmares about this guy. Naked and howling night and day. Always off in the distance. Can you imagine Come on, you were, you were a little kid once. You remember how things would mess with your mind? The worst things would come to your memory at the worst times. All you had was movies or your imagination. There were kids in this region that had a real monster, a naked man, all covered in scabs and open wounds and infections. Can you imagine the stench of such a man? Not just the, I mean, humans all by themselves are pretty stinky. But then you add this, this obsession with death and always wounding himself, never healing, always cutting himself, yet staying alive. Oh, the sickness of it. What a sight. You cannot picture such a man. Clean shaven or groomed. He's got to be an absolute madman. The, the, the very thing that every child just is afraid is going to come over to their house. There's no barriers. There's no fence. Do you understand this? You're going to live anywhere in that region, and you're a kid. Don't you tell me you're not thinking about that guy at night. Any noise happens. But think about this. There were people that actually were involved with the guy. There was a period of time. Maybe, maybe it was incremental with him. Well, at first, he was just a crazy guy around, around their village, and, and apparently they attempted to take charge of him, maybe when he started being naked. And they started trying to take charge of him. They tried to chain him. They tried to bind him. They have this value for human life that they had no legitimate reason to kill him. They, so what are they going to do? They're going to try to restrain him. They can't. He breaks fetters. He breaks chains. 
Material chains are broken by this guy, but all the invisible chains are just continually being reinforced and every single one of those um, invisible links is just added to. Right? This, this man is in such bondage, but it probably in such a, a state that the, the thing that I, I don't know, I really, I, I, it's a mystery to me, and I don't know, you know, he, he seems to have supernatural strength that he can break iron feathers. Is it supernatural strength? Was it? I, I don't know. I wish I knew. Or was it just the absence of pain that is insanity? Because most people would be not just stopped by the strength of the iron, but by the pain they're inflicting upon themselves in the effort to, to, you know, to, to force iron with flesh. I don't know. All I know is what the scripture says that he broke fetters, he broke chains. Nobody, they'd given up. And apparently he finally came to the place of just driving him out. Maybe they had to do that with weapons, manpower and weapons, but they drove him out. And he's out, he is, but he's not gone. Not a word of thanks for rescuing this human being created in the image of God. Not a word of thanks for curing all our kids' nightmares and, and this glorious thing that had been done. Just the request, will you please just go away? What is amazing, verse 18 says, that when he was coming to the ship, he doesn't argue with them. He's not offended. He doesn't even pronounce judgment upon them. He's the one who told his disciples, they don't receive you, just leave. Brush the dust off your feet and move to the next town. Maybe they'll receive you. He doesn't call down fire from heaven, doesn't uh, command the earth to open up and swallow them. He gives him a nod and heads for the boat. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed to him that he might be with him. Let me go with you. They want you gone? Well, they want me gone too. Let me go with you. Just let me, let me go where you're going. I'll follow you. Can you imagine the, the, oh, the, the, the heart of that man coming from where he had just come? Sure, you can imagine because you've, you are him just as I am. If you have had him come to your rescue, ending your darkness, bringing an end to your awful pain at your heart, if you've experienced that, then you understand the sentiment of this man. I just want to go where you're going. I don't want to. Don't, if you're leaving, I'm going to. He prayed with him. He might be with him. In, in verse 19, it says, how be it? Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and have had compassion on thee. And he, that man, whose name we don't have, but I sure look forward to meeting him in heaven. He departed and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Those words end this particular little story. All men did marvel. You, you know that this guy has to go around with a message. And somebody somewhere is going to go, hey, who do you think you are anyway? And he'll tell them, I guarantee you've heard of me. The madman of Gadara, the demoniac, the monster of the Gadarenes. And I am absolutely certain that people would respond to that claim, but we're all right. And the only way to end their doubt would be to unveil his scars. Can you imagine the scars of such a man? We read here that he was always in the tombs. The statement that he was, verse five, always night and day, was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Crying and cutting. Crying and cutting. Howling. 
and hacking. Such a man would be completely covered everywhere that his hands could reach. There's no doubt scar tissue. Can you, can you picture the scene where a man is together, he's rational, he's now groomed, his beard is, is tame, his hair likewise, and he has to tell them, I was that man, and people don't believe him. He's gonna have to disrobe at least to the waist. And the whole crowd is gonna go, <gasps> and everyone would gasp all at once, everybody would. I mean, you're, we're talking about something that like uh, Barnum and Bailey would put on display, the kind of scarring, the kind of wounds now healed. You understand those wounds are gone, but there is the evidence that they were there. I picture it, I, I can see it like a movie in my own head, where the crowd first gasps, but then they become receptive. All right, tell us more. You really are him, tell us. And he's got a story to tell, with more detail than what we have here. A story that has people captivated, and all men dead marvel. I actually believe that though, you know, our, our story may be uh, lacking the extremes for some. <laughs> some of you were never naked and out of your mind, howling and cutting, and the, you know, the very source of children's nightmares. But change happens to every single one of us. The, the work of Christ in all of us produces change, a change that ought to cause people to marvel. People should be marveling at your boldness, you who had been so very timid. People should be marveling at your self-control, you who had previously been so out of control. People should be marveling at the wisdom, the wisdom that has been imparted to you, whereas in the past, you seemed so foolish or just so quiet. Boldness, wisdom, self-control, rationality, all of those things. That you actually know some things. You know where you came from. You know where you're going. And you know why you're here. The work of Christ in all of us, I maintain, should cause all men to marvel. If they're not marveling, I think we're not doing our job. But going back to the beginning of the story. The Lord comes out of the ship and immediately this guy comes to him. What is unknown to me too is what compelled the demoniac, this madman, to go rushing down to the shore. Was this uh, sort of uh, a territorial action that, that someone has approached? And at what point does he and they in him realize who they just confronted. That's the stuff I don't know, I wanna know. <laughs> did, they, did he just rush down there because this is like the thing he does, people come ashore and he just goes, ah, goes crazy and, and, and scares people off. But at some point, <laughs> I'm thinking about Lloyd Pulley in New Jersey traffic, Pastor Lloyd Pulley, telling me about <laughs> getting so frustrated with his car ahead of him. It's going slow, he's in the lane, you know, he needs to speed up and he's having a hard time getting around him. He finally gets around and he has to floor it. He goes really fast and pulls up to the car, looks over to give a disapproving look and realizes that's a cop, that's a cop. And, he's, and the, the change in his countenance from, oh, just, it was an unmarked, uh, you know, police car. The guy's in uniform behind the wheel. <laughs> that moment still tickles me. I wasn't there. I can just picture Lloyd's countenance from anger, disapproving, traffic face to, oh, you know. Uh, oops. <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't know. Wave? <laughs> you turn your gesture and, hi! <laughs> shaking your fist and open your head. I don't know. But, um, that must have been kind of like this for, for the demoniac and for those that drove him, what was inside of him. And he comes down to realize that that is God, the Son. 
God in the flesh. It just come to you, little patch of dirt. Stepped off the boat. I wondered about the reaction of the disciples, you know, <laughs> who, who jumped behind the Lord. Or who jumped behind another disciple and pushed him forward. I'm picturing that being Judas. Or who drew a sword, swing, come on! You know, that's probably Peter's action. And the Lord's got to cool everybody out and just step forward. And this guy comes sliding into home plate and just starts singing things. This, these words <laughs> that he cried with a loud voice. Not, he, this is not just a, a statement. He just starts crying with a loud voice. Whatever I to do with thee, Jesus, he knows the name. And he knows more than that, thou son of the most high God. That there is one God and there is only one most high. That's an interesting expression coming from devils who followed Lucifer. The followers of Lucifer who said, the Lucifer who's like, I will be like the Most High. How many Most Highs can you have, Lou? There's only one, right? And to hear those words coming out of devils, thou son of the Most High God, thou son of the Most High I adjure thee by God. This is the weirdest part. I adjure you. I, I beg you by God. This is a hint that even the demons know of the mercy of God. That even they, I adjure thee by God. That thou torment me not. Must have blown the minds. <laughs> Think about the, the disciples. They're in a perpetual state of blown-mindedness. Everywhere they go, even on the way over there, they, they had the ship is about to sink. He shuts the storm off. <laughs> they got the adrenaline shakes from all of that. The storm was shut off and their minds are blown. They're going, who does that? What manner of man does that? Who speaks and has the wind and waves obey him? And they haven't even recovered from that. Now this is happening. The guys are like wrecks. I picture them all just messed up. <laughs> wobbly legs going from one thing to another and, and they're hearing a demoniac don't torment me heavy moment verse 8 for Jesus had said to him come out of the man you unclean you hear the King James Version thou unclean spirit no you dirty devil he asked him what is your name what's your name what is your name? There was no other purpose for the Lord asking, what is your name? It was irrelevant to the fact that you're leaving. He wanted us to know. I say the Lord asked him because he wanted us to know. It almost seems like a, it just seems like a weird answer. My name is Legion, for we are many. That's just weird. But the fact that there are many, many spirits, many demons, Many individual entities all together in one man. My name is Legion. Was that, I mean, it's, it's a fact, I assume. But was that supposed to sound impressive? My name is Legion for we're many. <laughs> you just finished begging. Don't torment me. My name is Legion for we're many. You were just begging. Don't torment me. And then they start negotiating. They start negotiation, right? Demons, like, send us into the swine. Or we're going to leave, but send us into the swine. That I don't understand. I don't think I've never read anybody who fully comprehends, and nothing has told us in this passage why they would ask. That's just plain another thing that's weird. That's never happened any other time. There's never any other occasion that we're aware of. Anywhere in the Lord's ministry or anywhere else in all of divine revelation where devils have asked to be allowed to invade any animals. 
I've met animals that I've thought were potentially possessed. I bet you've met a few of those. Most of them are house cats. Uh, there are some that make you wonder, right? They're just cat, I think all cats. All right, I'll move on, because this is where I, I start going off on my opinion and offending people. But they're all hypocrites. The only reason they don't kill you and puncture your brain is because they're too small. <laughs> but if they were bigger, they would. Act like they're your friends, only because you're bigger. But anyway, but the, but the cat, you know, whatever. But, there's no, it, it, but you, you must ask yourself, and certainly I have wondered, what would cause a demon to want to be in the body, even if it's the body of swine? I don't know, but it makes me wonder. Is it, is it a state of torment for them to be completely just banished? The Son of God told us that when... Devils are cast out of a man. They go off into this arid place, seeking rest, finding none, they say. I'll go back to the house I was kicked out of. We'll see if it's still empty. And if it is, they re-enter with seven other spirits more wicked than them, thus compounding the problem. The point of that whole story is that when they come back, they better not find that house empty. The house must be filled Darkness can't enter a house filled with light. But seeking rest, like they're in a state of continual torment. They're looking for rest they can't find. The closest thing they find to rest is being able to interact with this material realm through the body of some poor victim they've taken possession of but that they would seek or settle for swine. They don't ask for any of the other men. They're negotiating. It's weird. Is it not weird? Have you guys ever read this and thought, man, that's weird? Surely you have. Which devil came up with that one? And all the rest of them go, yeah, 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 the swine. Yeah, how about the swine? Come on, please. Let us have the swine. And there are all these voices all coming out of one man. Absolute insanity. And have you asked the question, what were pigs doing in the promised land? Have you ever wondered that one? In case you don't know, it was, in fact, the other side of the Lake of Galilee. The other side. You see, the Roman Empire and Greco-Roman pagan culture was all around the region. But there were towns that were understood to be Jewish towns all over Galilee, where the Lord was doing his ministry. Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin. Those are Jewish towns. The Decapolis, the 10 city region over on that side is completely pagan. It is Rome. I mean, it's so Rome. Bethshan is the most uh, significant of those 10 cities in the Decapolis. And you can visit the ruins of Bethshan today. You can go there. It's an archaeological um, dig. It's like ongoing. But they've uncovered all of this Roman, it's, it's Rome. You guys, it's, it's the amphitheater, the bathhouses, the temples, the pagan temples, the brothels. It's a real Roman city with the arenas, the hippodrome, the racetracks, and, and the, um, all of the, uh, the games. It's Rome. So you understand that where there's Rome, there's an appetite for swine. They're not concerned about it being the promised land. Promised land has long before this been invaded by pagan nations. When the Lord said to these disciples in the previous chapter, let us go over to the other side. You understand, he was saying, we're going to go to another culture. We're going over to another world. A world that's given over to sensuality, to pleasure, vice, and spectacle. That's where they went. And over there, a massive herd of swine and you got demons asking for it. And then what's even more curious is verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. The Lord, our Lord, the Son of God, 
listens to their pleading, all these weird voices coming out of one body. And he goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, go for it. Go. Have a Jew way. And instantly they do. It says here that instantly that herd ran straight to the water, down a steep place, and drowned themselves. Now, I can only draw this one significant point from that. That if you happen to be an animal, and that's all you are, and you're in a state of absolute misery, absolute torment, as the man had been, now they instantly were themselves. It's logical and reasonable to choose a painless death in the water, a painless drowning death, rather than continue one more minute in that state of torment. I mean, that's completely logical. But if you're a human being created in the image of God, if you are a person created by God, you're different than the animals. You have a spirit. You are a spiritual being, and you always will be, and you will always exist, unlike the swine that can drown and end it all, including their pain. There's no ending at all for the human who does this, for the human who goes, I'm going to kill myself and cease to exist. There is a frightening, horrifying, and eternal discovery that they didn't end anything, but rather the origin of the expression, the origin of the English expression, they went from the frying pan to the fire. There's a difference between you, my friend, my fellow human, the difference between you and all the animals of the world. You're eternal. You and me, we're going to be forever. We will never cease to exist. We cannot choose to cease to exist any more than we chose to exist. We're bound. Our existence is a reality and always will be. We cannot just end it. Now, you guys know this. I'm talking to a room full of Christians. But let's just consider the possibility. There might be one among us that is not. They got to know. They got to know they will always be. They will always exist. And the question is, will we exist in the presence of God or will we exist estranged from God eternally? I mean, eternally, forever and ever and ever into infinity. We will always exist. We will always either be in his presence where he wants us to be or away from him. Away from it. I mean, think about this. Just think about hell for a second. We, we began this talking about the wonder of, of heaven, the glory of where we believe our loved one, we know where she is. I love doing the funerals for believers or memorial service for believers. I really do. I'd rather do them than weddings. I like doing weddings. I'm not opposed to weddings, but nobody at a wedding is all that receptive. People at, at memorial services and funerals. They're dealing with reality. They're, they're wide open. They're, they want to hear something. And when it's a, the, the memorial for a believer, somebody you can stay with confidence, you can speak with absolute assurity based on how the, the, you know, the, what their confession of faith, both verbal and in their behavior. They, they never deny the Lord. And you know how they lived. You know, they knew where they were going. You can speak for them. Let me tell you what they believe. And they have to listen out of respect for the person. There are people in the room on that occasion that would get up and walk out of a gospel message anywhere else. But they're held hostage by the fact that I am speaking on behalf of this person. I'm going to tell you what they wanted me to tell you. And you jolly will listen to it. And they will. They do listen. They're telling them about grace. Tell them about justice and mercy and grace. Define the terms and lay it out to them the eternal realities and the love of God and, and the great lengths that God has gone to in order that nobody has to perish. No one should. No one has to. Man, eternity is forever and ever. In the words of C.S. Lewis, when the whole program of God is all done, there's only two kinds of people. There are those 
who said to God, thy will be done. Versus those to whom God says, thy will be done. Let's chew on that one. Those to say to God, thy will be done. What is God's will? That everyone should live. That everyone should repent and receive forgiveness and live forever with him. Versus God saying to them, thy will be done. You want nothing to do with me? Have it your way forever. I respect your will. And they're banished. Completely estranged from God. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. It's appointed. We live, we die, the judgment. Only one way to live forever, and that is through faith in Christ. Only one way. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him if you haven't. And I you know it's midweek, and the likelihood of any lost person being among us is lower than on Sunday morning. Isn't that weird? Sunday morning, the heathen, the heathen come. Sunday morning, you know, they can get drugged to church. Nobody gets drugged to church on Wednesday night. The drug problem is a Sunday morning thing. But it's possible. I just want to say to you, the Lord loves you so much that he actually gave to us in this gesture with a herd of swine a statement. He gave to us in this gesture a statement. I say it again, if you are a pig, and you're not, and you are suddenly invaded by some other mind that is truly evil, truly dark, you don't walk around cutting yourself and howling like a man in that same state. You logically end your suffering in the nearby water. But what was it, you ever thought about what was it that kept that man alive? What kept him from doing what they did? Demonized as he may be, completely owned to the point where he has little control over any of his choices. Still, he lives. He lives on in his misery, in that dreadful state between heaven and hell on the surface of the earth, living his own kind of hell. But he stayed alive. Whereas, I say again, a couple thousand swine said, we are checking out. And they did the logical, reasonable thing. I think the Lord is making a statement. He made it, and I hope we don't miss it. That you're not a swine, you're not a dog, you're not a cat or a whale or one of the sparrows that he spoke of. You're more valuable to God than all of those. God's aware of all of them, every little creature. He's very much aware, but he did not send his son to die for them, but for you, you and me. God did not send his son to become one of us, to become a man in order to save worldwide menagerie of creatures, critters, creeping things. What God's sights were on and still are is every one of you humans created in his image. And he loves you. He loves us all. He loves us so much that he would become one of us. He became one of us to save us. He, he came here and walked in our shoes, as it were. He, he lived a sinless life to die a sacrificial death to satisfy his own justice. Rose from the dead. Ascended with a promise to return. I believe, my brothers and sisters, that we ought to be in the business of making all men marvel. And we have the means to do that. I don't think uh, all men should marvel because we're just so tame. All men should marvel because we're just so incredibly compliant and we are just a bunch of little cowards that, that are easily pushed over. And I think that, we, that men ought to marvel at the boldness in us. And men ought to marvel at the wisdom that comes out of us and the reasonableness, the kindness Love even for our enemies. We ought to be causing people to marvel. That is the business that we should be in. And we should be doing that by our continued boast of who he is and what he has done. You know, I don't know if you guys do this, but uh, we've, we've done it off and on. And we've experienced interruptions with it back at, at uh, Calvary at Home. 
But the most fruitful thing that we've ever done, and, and everybody everywhere wants to have um, some kind of an addiction meeting. Those are real popular, and people will come to an addiction meeting. They won't even come to church. We've found that the only addiction meetings that are ever truly fruitful are the ones where people are given their story, given their testimony. People telling their story, profoundly disarming to everybody. Have you told your story? I mean, have you actually been open? You don't have to have a crazy past like the guy we read about tonight. You don't have to have a past. It's, you know, all drugs and lawlessness. How about if your own story is that you once were so confident in yourself that you were good enough and God would just have to accept your best effort until the day that you came to realize as a work of the Holy Spirit of God, you came to realize that's not good enough and that God won't accept your terms and your pride came to an end and you humbled yourself and you accepted Christ. You met God on God's terms and received Christ. Are you telling that story? Has anybody asked you to tell that story? Or, you know what, a lot of times they ain't gonna ask you. You gotta get pushy. You know, let me tell you my story. One other thing is usually you earn the right to tell your story when you have listened to their story. And people are all wanting to tell their story and go on and on and on. And there's a degree to which I think out of human compassion, you gotta listen. Then there's a point where you go, well, you need to say, okay, like, I've heard you, I get it. You've been through a lot. Can I tell you my story? Your story will make men marvel. You don't have to exaggerate. You don't have to go into you know, really crazy graphic detail. But you've got a story to tell, you ought to tell it. We have uh, we had interrupted ours, the, uh, the addiction meetings. I kind of, a little bit of contempt for them. Everybody wants to sit around. People want to be able to say that I'm doing something. Right, I got this. I'm a drink. I'm a heavy drinker, or I got this drug problem. But I'm doing something. I'm going to meetings. I want to be able to say that. A lot of people do that. It's a works thing for them. So we actually brought that kind of a meeting to an end, where everybody's just sitting around talking about their, you know, it's the same AA. If you're an AA fan, whatever. <clears throat> We're not doing it. Personally, think that this. this you, you, you can't. I cannot picture blind Bartimaeus. Going to meetings, blind man meetings. I'm gonna go for the, you're gonna go to my regular blind man meeting. Stand up and go, hi, I'm Bartimaeus. And everybody goes, hi, Bart. And I'm a, and I'm a recovering blind man. And then one day at a time is my thing. Don't stand in front of me. I might walk right into you. I, I'm, uh, I, mean, I, I'm, I see today, but you know, one day at a time. I don't think you need to, if you've fallen into a ditch, you don't need a support group of other people in the ditch. You need, you need a, a, a crane, a winch. You need a truck, a tow strap, and somebody's going to get you out of the ditch. You know what I'm talking about. You, you understand what I'm saying? The, the people want to get together and just sit around and sing the blues about how hard it is and then walk away talking about, what a healing. I feel such a healing. Nothing changes until you call for help. <laughs> and I'm not into the generic higher power foolishness. There's only one most high God, and he answers to the name of his son, Yeshua, Jesus. But I, we um, saw the addiction meetings going off in that direction. The guy running it said, I just want to shut it down. And we did. As we are now just now resuming, after months of it being gone, it is only for the purpose of testimony. You can call it whatever you want. You can go into an addiction meeting. When you come to the addiction meeting, you'll hear people singing the praise of this king and then tell their story. The stories are always captivating. That, my friends, is fruitful. You and I should be making all men marvel as we boast of Christ, our King, and what he's done for us. You've got stories. I believe the Lord wants to use you. Now, I didn't come in here with an agenda. I said that already. I just wanted to brag about him. But as we've been bragging about him, it occurs to me, an agenda has come together. We, um, we need to tell our stories. Lord, I pray in the name of Christ, our King, for my brothers and sisters all gathered tonight here in Calvary, Miami, this Wednesday evening, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to recognize a platform. Give us the perspective to recognize an opportunity to tell 
of your power. Lord, I thank you for all of those testimonies that the ex-addict, ex-drunkard is able to deliver, and they deliver them with the before and after or their mugshot photos. Those are powerful, and they, they are captivating. But there's more stories than that, so many. I think about this guy in the dramatic way that he no doubt testified, scars and all. He, he revealed himself to have been that man that everybody's heard of, that everyone had heard of him. And now he's healed. I, I, I don't know how he got his platform, but Lord, I know he, he made all men everywhere marvel. The whole Decapolis was affected by the testimony of this one man that you would send him back, that you would send him to go tell your friends, go tell your family what God has done for you and the mercy he's had on you. Lord, we've had mercy, we've received it, and you've done so many things for us. Help us, Lord, to get more aggressive about telling that story and bragging about you. The world around us is sick. It's all, the whole world, Miami, everybody's naked and crazy. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to confront the naked, crazy world around us, demonized as it is. I pray you'd help us to tell them our story. Use us where we are. Get glory to your great name through us. We pray it in the name of Christ and thank you for this time in your word. Amen.